I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Brad Kepler. You're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. And today we're continuing the 2021 Mission Critical Cloud Series, where we bring you conversations with AWS leaders and customers as we gear up for the Public Sector Summit online on April 15th, which you can register for at no cost at aws.amazon.com slash fix dash this dash podcast. Today, we're diving into the role technology can play in creating a more inclusive, diverse, and equitable future for all. So let's jump right in with Ray and Dave Levy, Vice President of our U.S. government business at Amazon Web Services. Dave, as the leader of our U.S. government sales here at AWS, you have experience building a large, diverse team across the whole country. Why is diversity critical to remaining customer-obsessed in the work that we do here at AWS? Amazon's mission, our mission, is really to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. And, and the mission is really central to our inclusion, diversity, and equity work. Diverse teams help us think bigger and differently about products and services that we build for our customers, and also the day-to-day nature of our workplace. And all of that gets reinforced inside of our 14 leadership principles, which remind team members to seek diverse perspectives, learn and be curious, and constantly earn each other's and our customers' trust. Inclusive, diverse, equitable teams have a positive impact on our services, our products, and it, it really just helps us serve our customers better. We know there's more work to do, and we have several programs designed to help improve the diversity pipeline in tech. Some take a long-term approach to help increase larger talent pipelines, like our Amazon Future Engineer program. And others are trying to incorporate more diverse talent immediately into the workforce, like our partnership with historically Black colleges and universities. In addition to that, we have our 12 affinity groups at Amazon, and they're comprised of over 90,000 Amazonians across hundreds of chapters around the world. Each has their own executive sponsor as well that ensures these groups are engaging at every level of the company. Some groups include the Black Employee Network, Glamazon, Indigenous at Amazon, women at Amazon, people with disabilities, We engage and consult their leaders and seek their ideas to improve our inclusion efforts internally and externally. And we also have programs geared toward hiring from a diverse talent pool, including transitioning military vets and their spouses. We have AWS Educate for Veterans, our military apprenticeships program. Tell us about our commitment to diversifying our hiring from a broad range of backgrounds, including the U.S. military. AWS is committed to hiring our military veterans and their spouses. We find that many of the qualities that are foundational to military service align well with our culture and our leadership principles. There are more than 40,000 veterans and military spouses employed at Amazon across the U.S. It's far surpassing our pledge to hire more than 25,000 by May 2021. We're also progressing in our commitment to provide AWS training to 10,000 active duty service members, military veterans, and spouses through the AWS Educate program. To help find even more talent, we launched the Amazon Technical Apprenticeship Program. This program provides classroom training followed by 12 months of on-the-job training 
before apprentices move to full-time jobs with our company. Another great example is our BRIDGE program, which stands for Broadening Research and Innovation for Defense and Government Employees. The goal is to share Amazon's industry best practices and business processes with the military, national security, and federal government communities with the aim of enabling them to modernize and keep the United States and its allies safe. The largest part of the bridge program is our fellowship program for anywhere from one week to one year, service members have the opportunity to work at Amazon. They learn industry best practices from us, and then they return to their military or government career with skills and resources to bring about organizational transformation and innovation. It's a really exciting program. Our customers are also diverse in nature, and our federal customers are doing really exciting work. For example, in 2020 here in the U.S., the U.S. Census brought the nationwide count online for the first time using the AWS cloud. The census, of course, is critical in understanding the demographics and population of the country, which then helps determine how resources like federal funds, grants, and support is allocated. Tell us about the work the census did in 2020 and how the cloud played a critical role in this evolution. As you mentioned, the decennial census is critical because the data collected by the Census Bureau helps determine the amount of federal funding that goes to essential services such as hospitals and schools and local infrastructure projects. It also shapes local and federal legislative districts and affects the number of representatives states get in Congress. Ultimately, 79 million responses were collected online as part of the 2020 census. AWS began working with the U.S. Census Bureau about four years ago to bring its vision of a digital census into reality. We initially provided strategic guidance, which helped them get the right solutions in place. The Census Bureau moved its 2020census.gov website to AWS GovCloud. GovCloud is our region designed to host sensitive data and address the most stringent U.S. government security and compliance requirements. And while we started working with the Census Bureau years ago to make this happen, the pandemic made this modernization even more critical. At a time when the Census Bureau had to scale back some of its in-person data collection, and despite the challenges posed by the pandemic, the Census Bureau still achieved a national enumeration rate of 99.98%, the highest enumeration rate ever recorded. Enumeration rate simply refers to counting. The census's job is to count households and count the members in those households. Really tied to driving those outcomes and allocating the resources, right? Yes, absolutely. The cloud ultimately powers solutions that can capture the imagination of diverse audiences worldwide and give access to things that were previously inaccessible to them or even unimaginable. Recently, for example, NASA JPL allowed people to send their name to Mars, which was so cool. And people from around the world, no matter their background, were able to participate and contribute and leave their mark on what was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. How is the cloud and AWS broadly helping to power solutions like these that will open doors for a more inclusive world by giving access to knowledge, resources, opportunities to learn, and chances to collaborate? During Perseverance's mission to Mars, the science and engineering data is being processed and hosted in AWS, enabling the Mars 2020 mission to benefit from 
scalability, agility, and reliability of AWS in the cloud. By using AWS, NASA JPL is able to process data from Mars on Earth faster than ever before. AWS also powers the Mars Mission website, which shares images from Mars with the public. We make data from the federal agencies available through the registry of open data on AWS. The registry of open data on AWS makes it easy to find data sets made publicly available through AWS services. So examples of federal customers on the registry of open data are NASA, the Department of Energy, and NIH, NOAA, which is the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration. Their data sets include a world ocean database, as well as a space weather forecast and observation data. And another really impactful example, during reInvent 2020, we announced that AWS Open Data Sponsorship Program will begin hosting NIH, the National Institutes of Health, sequence-read archive data. The sequence-read archive data is one of the oldest and largest genomic sequencing repositories in the world. And genomic sequencing data is important because it helps scientists understand how DNA can dictate things like an individual's appearance, behavior, and disease risk. The AWS Open Data Sponsorship Program also supports the Smithsonian Open Access Initiative, which makes more than 2.8 million two- and three-dimensional images and files available to anyone with an internet connection. You know, inclusion, diversity, and equity is so important for our success at AWS. Our, Our customers are diverse in every way possible and building a incredibly high-performing team and solutions that is inclusive of everyone is one of our big goals and we're committed to that and we're continuing to do that every day and it makes our future for ourselves and our customers really exciting. As Dave mentioned, technology can power solutions that create more chances for people around the world to learn, access new opportunities, and have their voices heard. Part of what Dave talked about was also the value of tech skills and ensuring that the tech workforce of today and tomorrow is as inclusive and equitable as possible. That means creating specific, targeted programs and opportunities for people who may typically be excluded. Justice Through Code is a program developed in partnership with the Tamer Center for Social Enterprise at Columbia Business School and the Center for Justice at Columbia University. AWS is proud to provide financial support and devices to help this program scale. And this is a free of charge semester long program that provides coding skills, training, mentorship, and job support to formerly incarcerated citizens. We sat down with Aiden McDonald, founder and program manager of Justice Through Code and a Justice Through Code graduate, Kevin Harper, to learn more. My name is Aiden McDonald, and I'm the founder and program manager of Justice Through Code. Yeah, my name is Kevin Harper I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm a recent graduate of Justice Through Code. Aiden, what gave you the idea to start Justice Through Code? I myself had spent four years of my life incarcerated in, in federal prison for my involvement in marijuana distribution in my late teens and early 20s. After I came home, I entered into a world where It was just incredibly difficult for me to find a job. I would go through and interview for jobs and make it to the final round. And the person I was interviewing with would be excited about offering me the position and the background check would come up and I'd have the offer rescinded. 
I was able to find work at the Center for Justice at Columbia University, which is a center focused on addressing the crisis of mass incarceration. In my work there, I was really interested in looking at how a university like Columbia could help solve this problem. Employment is the number one predictor of recidivism, and mass incarceration disproportionately affects communities of color. And also then looking at the link between poverty and lifetime likelihood of incarcerations. For young boys in this country that are born into the bottom 10% of wealth, they're 20 times more likely to end up incarcerated in their lifetimes than in the top 10%. So I was really invested in looking at how do we create a pathway to a livable wage in a industry that's growing. From the time that I had spent living in San Francisco, um, knew a lot of people working in tech and I knew how to program myself, that there was a huge diversity issue. And so I got together with Professor Damon Phillips at the business school to really think through how to solve this problem. And we decided that we had a unique opportunity at Columbia to offer training to develop a skill set for individuals to enter into software engineering roles in the technology industry. Something that's so important is thinking about what diversity really means at its core. It's about having varied opinions, socioeconomic backgrounds, lived experiences, racial groups, and gender identities, not only represented, but also heard. Through the program, how does Justice Through Code foster leadership skills among its students and graduates so that the coding skills that they're learning are just the beginning of their on-ramp into technology? So I think what's really important here is the focus that we place on providing equitable access to resources and opportunity that are not extended to formerly incarcerated populations. So one of the things that's very unique that we do is we have a very robust mentorship program where students are paired with software engineers from companies like AWS and people that work at Columbia as well. And this really provides students the opportunity to continue to develop their skill set after they finish in the program and also to develop the networks that will support them in their job searches and for advice for years to come. It's hard to move ahead in life when you don't have opportunities to turn your life around or just to, for someone to even give you a chance. And I think that's one of the, the best things about Justice Through Code is that it provides resources to a group of people that would never, ever have an opportunity to get these resources. And most times when you give people the opportunity to the resources, you'd be surprised what they can do. Usually a lot of times with recidivism and people going back is that they come home to the same situation that they left. But if you put them in a position to where they actually have an opportunity to improve their life, a lot of people will actually walk a straight path. Yeah, Kevin, I would love to hear about your personal experience. What was it like going through the program and then graduating and now being a TA with Justice Through Code? I've always been interested in tech, but looking from the outside, it's almost like this world is just for people who go to school and who graduated from college. When I had seen the post on social media about Justice Through Code, what made it interesting to me is that it was the first time I seen something that was targeting me. And because that it was specifically speaking to who I am, I felt very comfortable in that they understand the issues that I face. So that made me apply for it. And for anyone out there who may be listening, what's it like on day one? It's a lot of problem solving. It's a lot of thinking in ways that I've never thought before. I've never had any experience prior to this with coding before, but I love to learn, right? So it was more or less one of these things that, you know, I wanted to take the chance and I have the mindset that if, as long as you put in that work 
And even if it's something challenging, you can overcome it. They linked us up with like an MBA advisor, a Columbia students. There was just so many things that, you know, I never had experience with. I look at Justice Through Code sometimes as almost like a three month long job interview because the things that you're going through is what in the professional world you're gauged by. I've been on a few opportunities since then with jobs and stuff. And I totally feel like all that paid off because the way I'm handling situations like that now is just like, I'm not afraid to present myself in a professional world anymore. Where before I was because I was insecure about you know how I'd be judged. I've not been getting a, a ton of chances to better myself since coming home. So the fact that I was able to get through it was just very rewarding. As we're wrapping up here, Aiden, how many students have graduated from Justice Through Code as of today? And what are your long-term hopes and goals? In our two cohorts that have graduated, we've graduated 35 students. Really happy to say that we're actually now able to increase our class size. And so we've enrolled 35 students for this cohort. So we'll be at, at 70 at the end of the spring. And we intend to continue to grow the class size through partnerships like with AWS. And one of the things that we're very focused on is not just the impact on the lives of our students, but also system-wide impact. No matter what you're doing, technology touches every aspect of our lives. And what's happening in the companies that are building this technology is that they're making many decisions about what our future world will look like. And there's just such great importance in everybody who is impacted by those decisions being a part of building that technology through providing access to the program. We're able to open up this opportunity for a new world where the technology that is being built is equitable and everybody has a chance to shape it. It's not fair that somebody's not considered for a job or doesn't get a job simply because they've never had the opportunity for somebody to share that knowledge with them. And that's something that we see across the board that our students just haven't had before being able to challenge these negative stereotypes and really uplift the communities that are impacted by mass incarceration to really lead to sustainable change in the lives of our students, but then especially in the lives of their children. I mean, if you think through the increases in earnings that our students are going to see, they're now going to be able to pay for their children to go to college the lifetime likelihood that their children end up incarcerated changes. I mean, just so many things change as a result of providing that access. And I think that's just why it's so vitally important that we're able to do this work. Creating sustainable change is about ensuring that there are long-term support systems in place. It's important for people to gain access to opportunities, and it's also equally important that there are ways for them to thrive once they've landed the job or gotten that seat at the table. And for girls and women looking to pursue careers in tech and STEM, this can be a massive challenge. How can we ensure girls are included at all stages in the world of tech? Girls Who Code is a global nonprofit with a mission to close the gender gap in entry-level tech jobs around the world. And they plan to do it before the end of this decade. Ray chatted with Dr. Tarika Barrett, current Chief Operating Officer and soon-to-be Chief Executive Officer of Girls Who Code. Tarika, can you quickly introduce yourself? I'm Tarika Barrett. I'm the incoming CEO at Girls Who Code. We're an international nonprofit committed to closing the gender gap in tech and changing the image of what a computer programmer looks like and does. And I've been with the organization now for almost five years, 
I've had the best possible job in the world overseeing all of our programmatic work as our chief operating officer. Other than that, I am a mom of a preteen and teen. Tarika, there's this stat on the Girls Who Code website that really took me by surprise. It says in 1995, 37% of computer scientists were women, and today it's only 24%. Why is the gender divide in computer science getting bigger? After five years of working at Girls Who Code, I've seen this firsthand because I you know, have the pleasure of working with our girls every day. They're going to be the key to transforming our modern workforce. But the other thing that I've also seen is that it's just not enough to spark interest in computer science and coding to get at this so-called you know, pipeline problem our girls are encountering. Too many of the girls we've taught to love coding and tech actually end up leaving the industry because of the systemic barriers that still exist when they quote unquote make it. As CEO, I am so deeply committed to expanding and extending this amazing pipeline that we've managed to build over close to a decade now of this work. But more specifically, I know that we're going to have to triple the number of free after-school clubs that we launch over the next few years and also dive into workforce development and mentorship programs so that our alums know that Girls of Code will support them as they enter the field and move up in their careers. We're also very clear that it's our workplaces where we're seeing the change is actually the slowest. There needs to be a shift in culture and companies are beginning to reflect on diversity and inclusion practices, but that's where we need to see real change. As you mentioned, the Girls Who Code mission is to close the gender gap in entry-level tech jobs by 2027 globally. Give us a sense of the roadmap. I know you just mentioned that you plan to increase the number of mentorship opportunities, after-school programs, but What are some of the other things in the works for Girls Who Code to achieve parity before the end of this decade? As you might imagine, in this moment, especially with COVID, I've been thinking a lot about this because it's hit our workforce so hard, and especially our women and our women of color in particular. But the roadmap ahead is simply a continued investment in our girls. You know, I've seen firsthand that passionate, ambitious, and diverse young women are going to be the key to transforming the workforce. We know they're the ones who are going to take on all the tough challenges we face. And over the past 10 years, we've managed to build this movement at Girls Who Code of hundreds of thousands of young women who now see a path forward in tech. So to meet this goal of closing the gender gap in entry-level tech jobs by 2030, it's all about expanding this pipeline. And we have to do that, as you mentioned, by tripling the number of free after-school clubs that we launch over the next few years. And this has to happen because our education system is simply not set up to close a gender gap in tech. We also plan to launch workforce development programs that are going to support women as they enter the field and move up in their careers. We're seeing too many young women leave their jobs early, and especially our young women of color. And that problem has only grown worse under COVID. I love that there's a focus on young girls. I grew up in an all-girls education through college, so I really see the importance of this. But more than that, it's so important to reach kids early to show them what is possible and to give them the mentorship and guidance that they need and examples that they need so that they can build the skills and confidence to actually pursue a career in STEM. How do you reach girls around the world? At Girls Who Code, we take this multifaceted approach to activating and nurturing girls' interests in STEM. So it's just not about teaching girls to code only. We're teaching them to thrive and to lead in the tech workforce. And so we have Girls Who Code after-school clubs. We have college loops, as well as our summer immersion programs. The clubs are these spaces for girls in grades 3 through 12, and they get exposure to coding early, and they 
learn to foster a passion for STEM. These are places where girls can be playing with robots, designing their own website, reading our fiction and nonfiction books. We also have our College Loops programs, and those are geared toward our college-age alumni and women come together to build community. They also help each other with persistence. And then last, I'll talk about our summer immersion program. And this is our flagship, the first thing we did in 2012. And traditionally, it would be seven weeks in person. And with COVID, we moved all of that programming to a two-week virtual program. And this is for rising 10th through 12th graders. And girls get exposure to tech jobs, computer skills, mentorship. So tell us about the three values at the center of Girls Who Code. Do you have a favorite? And can you tell us why these are central to all of the work that Girls Who Code is doing? So yeah, I just shared with you that Girls Who Code is not just about helping young women learn to code, but our programs instill bravery, sisterhood, and activism. You know, I could probably list like 10 more grit, resilience, tenacity, but I'd point to those three as really important traits that we know are going to help them personally but also propel them into their professional development and career growth. Sisterhood is so central to everything that we do at Girls Who Code. And I'm just so proud of the kinds of programs we develop now give that to so many girls across the country and frankly, across the world. That's so radically important. And one of the things that I loved most about going to an all-girls high school and then an all-women's college is that Every leadership position, every head of every club, every smartest person in the class, it's another girl, it's another woman. And so there is that inherent baked in sisterhood and mentorship that comes from being in these spaces meant for girls and women. I totally agree. And there are spaces also where you can fail and not feel bad about that. You feel that you're being supported by others. It's just so powerful. Yes. And so is there one program or initiative that you're most proud of? The initiative I'm most proud of is what we were able to do with our summer immersion program. During the pandemic, we recognized that our girls needed us desperately, and especially the ones who were struggling, you know, dropping out of remote learning, really disengaged. And so it wasn't just about bringing that program online and making it virtual. It was making it equitable and accessible and keeping girls as excited and energized about the prospect of learning computer science. And so typically we would serve 1,600 girls with our summer immersion program. And this past summer, we registered 5,000. How is AWS helping power Girls Who Code to reach your global audience? We are so happy to be able to use AWS, both in terms of our custom learning platform, Girls Who Code HQ, and then all of our customer data is stored there. So it's really the central critical infrastructure that allows Girls Who Code to reach over 300,000 girls around the world. If there's a young girl or someone who supports young girls out there listening right now, what is the one thing you'd want them to walk away from our conversation thinking about? First and foremost, be brave. Don't give up. Keep going. Know that you have everything within you to achieve your goals and your dreams It just takes grit and fortitude, and I am absolutely confident that you have it. I would also say to girls, actively seek out folks that you believe in, you know, mentorship from individuals that you respect and you trust. And for adults who have girls in their lives, make sure that you're asking them questions, that you're actually maybe just saying, how do you feel about computer science and coding? You'd be shocked how many girls never get asked that question. I know that's true for my 12-year-old daughter, Nia, very often. They'll ask my son before they ask her. Together, you can absolutely light the path forward to achieving your dreams. So just seek it out. Know that you have it in you. You can do this. 
To continue the conversation on the importance of tech in creating a more just world, we hope you'll join us at the Public Sector Summit online on April 15th at no cost. Dr. Barrett will join Teresa Carlson, Vice President and Leader of Amazon Web Services, Public Sector and Industry Business Units for a fireside chat. To learn more about the upcoming summit, here's Teresa. If you've enjoyed today's conversations and you want to learn more about the work AWS does with public sector around the world, register for the upcoming AWS Public Sector Summit online, happening on June the 30th, 2020. This is a fully virtual, no-cost online summit, and registration is now open. We're building an experience that you'll be able to access right from your own virtual office. We hope you'll join us for a day of these virtual sessions, moderated chats, and interactive experiences to help you come away with what you need. Register at aws.amazon.com slash fix dash this dash podcast. As always, a big thank you to our guests, Dave, Aiden, Kevin, and Tarika. And thank you for tuning in. If you like today's show, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share. We'll be here on the next one with the last episode of the 2021 Mission Critical Cloud series.